blessing. Uh, you know that uh, our friend Jing uh, is back in Taiwan with her parents. Her father and mother both have cancer and, and so forth. And, of course, Jing has been really concerned that her parents know the Lord. And uh, so she had asked us if we would... Uh, were, uh, set up a Zoom meeting so that we could uh, talk to her mother and witness to her and and confirm that she was a believer in Jesus Christ. And so yesterday morning, uh, our son Andrew got uh, the Zoom meeting all set up and everything, and we were able to visit with Jing and her mother there in the hospital in in Taiwan, and her mother laying in the hospital bed, but. Uh, uh, we had a, a really good visit with her. Uh, Jean's parents for several years, for quite a while, uh, came and attended our church services, even though they couldn't understand a lot that was being going on. But anyway, uh, I shared with them a simple gospel message. And uh, Jean's mother assured me that she believed in Jesus Christ. And so uh, that's what we rejoice in. So that was the first blessing that we had yesterday. Second blessing. This this get a little more complicated. Uh, but um, uh, most of you know that I'm writing a book of stories for my grandchildren. And uh, one of those stories <clears throat> is titled Sad Memories of Gordon, Sandra, and Shirley. Back in 1962, we were still in our first year in Taiwan going to language school, and uh, a overseas Chinese family from the United States came into our life. Uh, it was a husband and wife and three children, Gordon, Sandra, and Shirley. Uh, the mother, named Mary, was in the hospital, and she was in the hospital for a prolonged period of time, and she ultimately passed away. Um, and during that period of time, uh, the three children, Gordon 10, Sandra 8, and uh, Shirley 6, uh, three children, lovely, sweet children, we, we learned to love them and, and so forth, and uh, their mother passed away while she was in the hospital, and they were at our house staying with us when that happened. And we had the uh, responsibility of telling them that their mother had uh, passed away and so forth, and that she was, had made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ while she was in the hospital. We assured them that uh, she was now in heaven, and Anyway, to make a long story short, um, we wanted to adopt those three children. Uh, we had put them in Bethany Christian School there in the capital city of Taipei, and and uh, and it was had a great time. But the father ultimately refused to grant our wish that we be able to adopt them. So they were sent back to the States, and we lost contact with them. So that was about 60 years ago, a long time. <clears throat> and um, when I started writing these stories, and there came 
Gordon, Sandra, and Shirley, we would love to make contact with them and see what happened, you know. Uh, did the seed we planted bear fruit and so forth? Um, but all I had was Gordon, Sandra, and Shirley. Now, even Google is not going to be able to find somebody with just that bare minimum three names like that. Didn't know their last, their surname. But I talked to John Bateman, the oldest of the Bateman, five Bateman children. And uh, he remembered that Gordon, the, the boy, had told him their name was Seed. Well, how do you spell Seed? I started out Googling S-E-E-D. Nothing. Well, okay, S-E-A-D. Still nothing. So weeks passed, and one day, just out of the blue, it popped into my mind. Seed is S-E-I-D. And there it was. I started Googling and with seed and, and came up with, I think there were some Germans named seed too, but, but Chinese, uh, Cantonese, Chinese Cantonese surname, Seed, S-E-I-D. And when I started Googling, I came up with uh, quite a few. Um, and try to make a long story short, one of the names that I came up with was a Vincent Seed. And uh, it was Vincent Seed's obituary. And in the obituary, it said that his parents' name were Wallace and Mary, had Vincent. But it also said that he had a surviving half-brother named Calvin. And later on, it said he had three half-siblings named Gordon Sandra and Shirley. Now, that was a mystery to me. A half-brother and three half-siblings, what's the difference? Well, it gets complicated there. Um, and, and I won't uh, confuse you <laughs> uh, with that. But uh, how do I do this? Um, Wallace and Mary. Divorced. And Mary later married another man by the name of Daniel Seed. Same surname. Now, I don't know if Wallace and Daniel were related. I don't know that. But Daniel Seed. And so Daniel and Mary had three children. Gordon, Sandra, and Shirley. And uh, it gave the, I, I tried Googling Gordon Seed and I didn't come up with anything. I tried Googling Sandra Sora, the second girl, the, the first girl, the oldest girl. And then finally, Shirley Veeman. Veeman is a German name. And 
in Googling her, it came up with a cell phone number. I called the number. Nobody picked up. But voice mail came up and said, leave a message. So I left a brief message, who I was, what I was calling for, and wanting to find Gordon, Sandra, and Shirley. And uh, I, that was several days ago. Well, yesterday afternoon, I was in my study preparing to preach today, and my phone rang. And uh, it was Shirley. Gordon, Sandra, and Shirley. She was six years old, and uh, she, we, we helped her bring back a lot of memories. But she was, uh, had a sweet spirit about it, and we enjoyed a good visit with her. And uh, looking forward to further contact um, with her. She lives in San Diego. Gordon lives in San Diego, but uh, Gordon is kind of, she said, I don't get along with Gordon. Um, but Sandra lives in Las Vegas. So we have found them and uh, looking forward to making further contact. Um, and I told her about writing the story about them, sad memories of Gordon, Sandra, and Shirley. And her statement was, that makes goosebumps stand up on my neck. Because something from 60 years ago brought back memories that she was a six-year-old girl then. She's about, how, how old did she say? Six, 66 years old now. Well, anyway, I've wasted a lot of your time telling you that story, but that was a special blessing. So, um, Caleb, do we still not have slides? No? Okay. Um, I sent slides in as usual. For some reason, they got lost. Uh, so we're going to be doing without it. So this morning, I'm speaking on the subject, God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Uh, we're going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. And let me give you, you, you will remember that Paul uh, in his second missionary journey had gone uh, to Philippi and then to Berea and then to Thessalonica and uh, he had ultimately had to go on to Athens. But he had sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to strengthen and encourage the believers there because he had been in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths. And uh, it was a very short visit. He had won souls. He had uh, started a church, but they were baby Christians. And so he wanted to have assurance of uh, their growth in the Lord. And so Timothy had come back from Thessalonica, given his report to Paul of what was going on in Thessalonica. And uh, so 1 Thessalonians is Paul's response when he heard the news from Timothy. And uh, he wants them to know that he's still praying for them, that he's still uh, connected with them. So let's read this verse, if you'd like to stand with me. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. First uh, Thessalonians, what did I say? Okay, sorry about that. First Thessalonians. And, uh, okay. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. Let's pray. Father, we commit this time into your hands. I pray your Holy Spirit to come and guide us and direct our thoughts. And Lord, may you be honored and glorified and may all of us be edified and strengthened in your word and in your work. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, you've all heard my stories over and over again. I grew up in West Texas about 200 miles west of here. Uh, before there was television, uh, but in my earliest days, uh, from almost when I was born, uh, we had the miracle of radio in our house. Uh, now, many of our neighbors didn't have radio because we didn't have electricity uh, out in that very remote rural area of West Texas. In fact, we didn't get electricity till I was 12 years old in 1948. So I was a sixth grader. And before that, we uh, used a kerosene lamp to study by and do our homework by uh, at nights. And uh, we lived, I've told you this story, we lived in a two-room house that my dad and my grandpa Thornton uh, built for us. It was a spacious two bedroom, two-room two house. The south room was combination living room and bedroom. The north room was kitchen and dining room. And uh, on the roof of the house, Daddy put up a tower. And on top of the tower was a wind charger. Now, a wind charger, um, my, my brother Gerald had the belief that my dad was really a fantastic genius, that he came up with this uh, uh, motor that he mounted up there on top of the tower and got an airplane propeller and 
muddied it there, and the, when the wind blew, the propeller turned, and it caused the generator to generate electricity to batteries down on the ground that were hooked up to our radio in the house. And so we could listen to the radio, and uh, we did faithfully. We listened to uh, radio programs like The Shadow and uh, The Green Hornet and uh, The Lone Ranger and Amos and Andy and so many others. And uh, we were just as happy as if we had good sense. I mean, it was a good time. Well, during that period of time, the radio, of course, was important in our house. And my mother had the radio on a lot. And one of her favorite things to do was to listen to sermons on the radio. And one of the favorite sermons that she one of the favorite preachers that she liked to listen to was Dr. E.F. Weber. Now, Dr. Weber founded the Southwest Radio Church of the Air. And uh, we heard it over KWFT in Wichita Falls, Texas. And uh, uh, every day, Monday through Friday, Dr. Weber had his radio program. And the thing that stood out to me was that Dr. Weber closed every broadcast with God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. And uh, even all these years later, that statement still rings a bell with me. God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Uh, And so, you know where the title for the subject, the the sermon came from then when I think about Dr. Weber and and his radio program. But uh, Paul writing back to the Thessalonian Christians in this first chapter, uh, chapter 3 here, he talks about... um, Is that chapter 3? Yes, it is chapter 3. He talks about being praying for the Thessalonian Christians. And um, so I want us to kind of focus in on that. Uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, letting them know that he was praying for them. And one of the things that I have in my study is a New Testament copy of the scriptures by Dr. Elmer Towns, and the title of the book is Praying the Scriptures, and I would like to read for you uh, Dr. Towns' prayer as he reads this scripture from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. He said, Lord, Paul was encouraged because Timothy had just returned to bring the good news that the Thessalonians were standing firm. Paul also learned the Thessalonians wanted to see him. This news gave Paul a lot of confidence in his present trials and that his ministry of planting new churches would succeed, even when trials hit new churches. 
Now, Paul was ready to really throw himself in ministry because of the positive news that the Thessalonians were standing true. And so, let's just look into this prayer that Paul prayed for the Thessalonians. And uh, what can we learn from it? Number one, Paul describes effective prayer. What is effective prayer? Well, effective prayer, first of all, is thankful prayer. In verse 9, he said, For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which you rejoice for your sake before our God? By human standards, what had happened at Thessalonica was the work of the Apostle Paul. He was the missionary. He had declared the good news. It was a tribute to the work that he had done. In fact, humanly speaking, Paul could have claimed that it was a personal triumph. The church had been so well established even in that short period of time that the believers were, even though they were young in the faith, they had experienced severe testing, but they had come through all of that with flying colors. Again, their founder, the Apostle Paul, might easily have let his heart swell up with pride over his success at Thessalonica. However, the Apostle Paul saw things differently. He realized that what had happened was because of God's mighty power. The word render here, where he says, render to God for you, <clears throat> it signifies something that is due. In this case, thanksgiving to God is due. <clears throat> Paul implies that it is impossible for him to give enough thanks to God to repay him for the gracious working that he did while Paul was there at Thessalonica working with those new Christians. And so prayer must be thankful. That's part of our praying. But prayer must also be continual. Verse 10, he said, night and day praying. Paul prays, <clears throat> he prayed night and day. When was the last time that we lost sleep laying in our bed at night because we were praying? We must be people of prayer. Effective prayer engages the heart and the mind of all people at all hours of the day and night. And Paul, of course, later in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, made this command, pray without ceasing. So prayer is something that must be continual, regular, steady, faithful. And then Paul, prayer must be serious. In verse 10, Paul said, praying exceedingly. The exceedingly, the Greek word translated exceedingly here is the same word as found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Verse 20. He said, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. What Paul is saying is prayer is serious business. It, it brings problems big and small before God. It recognizes that you and I, as we pray, are helpless to change anything. Many of us are really concerned about events and things that are happening in our nation today and 
And we need to be bringing those things before God. Sometimes we like to take matters into our own hands and we like to get into arguments with people on the internet and so forth and uh, so forth. But we need to turn it over to God and let God handle those things and uh, ask for God's will to be done. And uh, that God will elect the people of his choice from president on down in our nation so that our nation can be put back on the right path. And uh, there are many examples perhaps that we could choose, but I think going back into the Old Testament, uh, we have the example of Hezekiah's prayer that in Isaiah chapter 37, verses 14 through 20, and uh, you will remember this is when Sennacherib and his army was coming down threatening to attack uh, Jerusalem and the country of, little country of Judah. And uh, Hezekiah was at wit's end. He didn't know what to do. And here is his prayer. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your ears, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands. And have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the king, kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. And yes, that is what God's people today must do. Uh, we, we like to take things into our own hands, but we need to just turn it over to God and know that God is sovereign, that he is king, that he is the ruler of this universe, and that he is in control of the affairs of nations and of kings and presidents and governors all down to the lowest person in every nation. So we know that our God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. And prayer must not only be continual, but it must be hopeful. Verse 10 says that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. The Greek word that is translated perfect means to adjust thoroughly to knit together, to unite completely. In other words, it's like putting a puzzle together. You start out with a jumbled mixture of pieces that are laid out on a table, maybe 500, maybe 1,000 pieces. There's a picture there on the box, so you know what the finished product is supposed to look like. So with patience and determination, you gradually see the picture on the box become a reality on the table. Paul's great hope is that he can return to Thess Thessalonica 
and finish the work that he started. He knows that those Thessalonican Christians are just baby Christian, and he wants to complete the work that he has started there so that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your face. And prayer is not only hopeful, but it is submitting to God's will. Verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. This is Paul's prayer of submission. His great hope and desire was that he might be able to return and finish the work he had started. But he also says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Paul is submitting to God's will. If God wills, he will go. If not, he will not go. He will go wherever God leads him. Notice also how God here links God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ as directing his path. The Greek word direct means to make straight. If we follow God's leading in our lives, he will make our path straight so that we can overcome any obstacle that Satan may use to hinder us. The prophet Agabus warned Paul about going to Jerusalem. You remember Paul was up in Caesarea and uh, he met with some of the Christians there and the prophet Agabus came in, in Acts 21 verses 13 and 14. Uh, Agabus had uh, pleaded with Paul and he took Paul's girdle and, uh, and, and he, and he tied himself with it and he said, you know, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound just like I'm bound with his girdle. And uh, Paul's answer was, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, the will of the Lord be done. And that was Paul's attitude. Lord, your will be done. I'm ready to lay myself on the altar, to surrender my life to your will, to go where you want me to go, to do what you want me to do, to say and preach what you want me to preach. And so God blessed Paul's minister greatly. And... So we've talked about effective prayer. What is effective prayer? But let's look at Paul's, the purpose of that twofold prayer for the Thessalonians. After praying that God would direct and make his path straight back to Thessalonica, Paul then switches to a petition, a prayer for the Thessalonians. It's a twofold prayer. Now, that may seem a little strange to us. Surely there must have been many, many things that uh, they needed that Paul could pray for. But uh, he only prayed for two here in this prayer recorded in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. So it must mean that these two are of vital importance. They are the foundation that makes it possible for us to be what God wants us to be. The first request, the first petition. 
He prays that their love would increase and abound. Verse 12 says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. Now, consider the meaning of these two words. Increase and abound. Increase means to become more and more, to multiply. Paul says that the Thessalonians' love will come in abundance by multiplying. The second word, abound, is an even stronger word. It means to be super abundant. The normal meaning of the word is to be more and more than enough, to be more than enough, to be plentiful. And in this Paul of prayer, prayer of Paul, I'm sorry, this prayer of Paul, it means to make extremely rich. The idea is that their love would be so great that there would be an abundance of it, that they would abound in love so that their love would be overflowing to other people. And the best way to picture it in our minds, perhaps, is a fountain that is bubbling up and overflowing. We're to have so much love that it overflows. It is not contained just within ourselves, but it overflows to others. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And when I read that scripture, it leads me to think about Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 that says, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit is to pour that love of God into a heart that is to bubble up and overflow like a fountain. And so um, I, I think um, Paul is saying here that these words mean that love is the supreme grace. You can never have too much of love. You can never have enough of love. Paul is saying, I pray that God will make you an overflowing fountain of love. He is praying that they might become super lovers. Sadly, I have to say that it's my experience that in too many cases, Christians don't love one another. And they certainly do not, as Paul prayed, increase and abound in love to one another and to all. We're not just to love our family and our friends and our fellow believers, but we must have a love that extends to all people, even as Jesus commanded us that we are to love our enemies. If we are full of God's love, it will certainly overflow to other people. We must not forget God's command to love others. And let me just read a few scriptures about love. 
John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I have given to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. John 15, verse 17. These things I command you that you love one another. Romans 13, 8. Owe no man anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 12 and 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abides faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. And above all things, have fervent love for another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And then Matthew 5, 43 and 45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now the problem, as I see it, is that in too many of us Christians, our fountain of love gets stopped up. It gets plugged up. And that love that God has poured into us through the Holy Spirit is not flowing out to other people. I've told you a lot of stories about my growing up. One of the favorite places growing up was about a half a mile down below my maternal grandparents' house. They lived, their house was situated on top of this long hill. And at the bottom of the hill, there was this gully. And about 100 yards off of the highway, down the gully, was a spring that bubbled up out of the water. And just a few feet below the spring, there was about a 10-foot high waterfall. And down at the bottom of the waterfall, most times there was a nice pond. And we liked to go there in the summertime and swim and play in the pond and, and have a great time. A few years ago, we made a trip back to my home area where my grandparents' home was, went down to the bottom of that hill, stopped the car, went through the barbed wire fence, and walked the 100 yards down to Dripping Springs. Sadly, there was no more dripping springs because they had used bulldozers to uproot all the trees and that left a lot of loose dirt and when it rained the, the water washed the dirt 
down into the gully. And the 10-foot waterfall was buried. It was just level ground. So down below somewhere, that spring is still bubbling. But it can't bubble out the way it did before. Well, too many of us Christians have our lives plugged up with sin and with busyness and with activities and with so many things that distract us from loving others, being the witness of Jesus Christ, letting his love bubble up through us. And be the people that God wants us to be. So Paul prayed for the Thessalonians to love, that their love would abound because he knew that they were going through persecution. He was afraid that the persecution would dampen their love for one another and for all men. And so sometimes in our family relationships, our church relationships, our friend relationships, our neighbor relationships, bitterness develops and it dries up the fountain of love for others. And so I pray that God will help us to have that kind of love, one for another and for all men. And the second thing Paul prayed for not only that their love would abound, but that verse 13 says, establish your heart in holiness so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. First there is love and from love comes holiness. Holiness is that state of being separated from sin and being wholly dedicated to God. Love and holiness go together so that you can hardly have one without the other. Love leads us away from ourselves and on toward God and becoming like God, and that's holiness. You might say that holiness is the child of love. It is because we love God that we want to be like God. And because we love God and want to be holy like God, we are able to reach out and love the unlovable just like God loved us. Because to love is to be like God. And that is holiness. And I pray that that will be the testimony of my life and of your life that God's love in me would abound more and more and that I would be more and more like Jesus Christ, like God in love and holiness. Brother Steve, would you come and lead us in our hymn of invitation? All right, hymn number 300, would you stand with me as we sing? <laughs> 